Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 256 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is January 28th, 2013. We've got a great show for you this week on the Peristyle Podcast. A little bit later on, we have Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer. that will be joining the show and answering a lot of your questions, a lot of talk about the quarterbacks, talk about the offensive line, even some NCAA talk that you had some questions on we're going to get to that um we're also coach harvey hyde is on secret assignment so i'm going to go the first segment solo uh for the podcast this week so we'll get coach harvey hyde on back on the show again next week if you have any questions or comments that's what the lifeblood of the show is we'd love to hear from you so you can email us podcast at uscfootball.com any questions you have try to keep them brief or you can call 206-888- 6755 leave a voicemail there or even go to peristylepodcast.com on the left side of the page you can leave a voicemail right from your computer so it all works out pretty well with the questions we have a bunch of those today uh, as far as going on with this usc football team i just want to let people know kind of what's going on right now uh national signing day is on wednesday february 6th so we're going to have uh, at least one recruiting blast before then and probably two, giving updates on what's going on with uh, USC football recruiting. Obviously, USC is trying to finish on a historic recruiting class. Um, also, the winter workouts have started for USC football. So football players go out four days a week with the strength and conditioning coaches. They're out there uh, doing weightlifting and doing agility drills and things like that on the field, working on speed and quickness and also building up strength. And that's, of course, to get ready for spring football, which starts in the beginning of March. So after signing day, about a month later, is when spring football will start, but there'll be a full month, uh, actually about six weeks or so, so of off-season workouts. And after those workouts, at least a couple days a week, uh, Max Wittick, Cody Kessler, and now Max Brown, the incoming freshman quarterback who's on campus, They'll be going out there and throwing the football around for throwing sessions. So we had, uh, we were there exclusively last week. No one else had anything. So if you go to uscfootball.com, you can see pictures of the workouts. Uh, a video is actually going up a little bit later today of what happened during the workouts. You can see the, the guys throwing the football around. And you can see Max Brown for the first time throwing to guys like Nelson Aguilar and George Farmer and things like that. Um, so all that's been going on. Dan Weber had a great story, and we're going to talk about that with on Cody Kessler, how he's out there competing, not talking about transferring. So he's ready to compete this spring for the uh, quarterback job, trying to go against Max Wittick and now uh, Max Brown. So it should be a, a very interesting competition there leading up to spring football. And like we said, we'll be covering all of these offseason workouts on uscfootball.com. You can check all that out, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. Well, let's get to, I wanted to get to some of these questions. Um, and again, Coach Harvey Hyde's not here, so I'll just be answering these uh, myself. So I apologize if some of these questions were intended for Coach Hyde. We'll get him back on the show uh, next week. Um, so this one was actually for from Al Capone and Palos Verdes for Coach Hyde. He said, on multiple occasions, I've heard you both mention that the team needs to become more tough and physical. How do you go about transitioning a finesse team to a tough and physical team? That's from Al Capone, and I think it's a great point. And I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the preparation, heading into practices, and and what you do. I think a lot of it starts from the top, and it's not necessarily you look at the roster and say, these are the kind of athletes that are on this team. These are a bunch of finesse athletes or these are a bunch of physical athletes i think uh these are young kids and there's a lot of uh flexibility there as far as which way they could go and i think you have to be in tune 
with the strength and conditioning staff. Uh, I can I know you know from when Pete Carroll was around and Chris Carlisle to Aaron Osmus and you know working with Lane Kiffin. There's different philosophies and different styles. And uh, Chris Carlisle was definitely more open. We've had uh, Aaron Osmus on our our UStream show a while back. I guess that was well, it might have been over two years, might, eh, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, something like that. Um, and but Chris Carlo was very forthcoming as far as you know sharing what his philosophies and stuff were, and you know it's Aaron Osmond's a little more subdued, uh, but you know we can still talk to him every once in a while, and you know just get different ideas uh, of what they like to see. But I think if there's something that coming from Lane Kiffin, he said you know if he wanted to make this a more physical team, uh, I think there part of it would be a conversation with Aaron Osmond, the strength and conditioning coach, just kind of changing the regiment a little bit. You can. Uh, you know, customize things and and do things. It doesn't have to be significantly different, but a little, at least a little bit differently to try to get the desired effect on the young athletes that you're training. And I think a lot of it has to do with, with practices as well. And I think a good sign heading into the Sun Bowl, you saw that linemen were going at it, uh, you know, with some different, not just the one-on-one drills they normally do, but full-on goal line, offensive lines versus defensive lines and uh, different drills that they were doing where we didn't see that really at all during the previous year. And seeing those guys go at it and, and getting more physical in the trenches, um, I think that was a lot of fun to watch. And I think that you get excited if you're a USC fan and you see that on the sidelines a little bit more where these guys are really um, just going at each other where before it was more, it seemed like there was more, it was more about film study and it was more about um, you know, where you're supposed to be, when and where. But it looked like heading into the Sun Bowl, they changed that a little bit. Now, obviously, the results of the Sun Bowl uh, didn't reflect. I'm not sure exactly what happened there. But we'll see this spring uh, when they're going at it, uh, You know how how physical will they be in practice? And I think if they are, they're more physical in practice and they're not trying to protect the roster, which Lane Kiffin had said he's been doing numerous times. I don't, I don't think if you're a player on the team, you want you want to be known as well. We're protecting the roster, so we're not doing this. Um, it's that's not a, a physical uh, attitude, I guess you could say. Uh, so we'll see what they do this spring uh, if they get more physical and and how all that goes. Uh, but thanks for that one, Al Capone. Uh, let's go to JJB. It's uh, this was uh, again for Coach Harry Hybe. He said they just fired the secondary coach. Uh, he's talking about Marvin Sanders. I'm not sure that he did such a bad job. But I'm not an authority. Could you make you could make the argument that the offense was just as much responsible for the defense for last year's catastrophe? You could equally make an argument that the offensive line was the center of the offensive offense's problems. They had a lot of talent on that line individually that just didn't play well collectively. That's the coach's job. Is anyone talking about hiring a new offensive line coach? I think that the offensive line was more of a problem. Then the defensive secondary, and that's from JJB. And I think it's, there's some great points there. I mean, there's there's a lot of units that underperformed this past season for USC. There's no question about it. There's been a lot, you know, there's been a lot of talk about that. Now, Marvin Sanders, you know, his first year in there, uh, Lane Kiffin had had sung his praises as far as being uh, a defensive back coach. Uh, I think the main issue with Marvin Sanders, and I, I'm I'm not saying I agree with the firing. I don't. I I, I liked him as a coach, and I thought it'd be he, he'd be good going forward and give him another chance. Um, certainly, the secondary underperformed, but you could argue that many of the position groups did. But Clancy Pendergast coming in, uh, his focus is going to be on the defensive backs. So it looks like Lane Kiffin made the decision that we're going to go with. Um, Clancy Pendergast doing the defensive backs and free up a full-time defensive coach or offensive coach, a full-time assistant coach to take Marvin Sanders' spot. So I think more of it was if Marvin Sanders happened to be the linebacker coach, he would still be on staff. Um, USC did lose their linebacker coach, and there's still an opening there. So as of right now, there's two assistant coach openings two full-time assistant coach position openings uh, that Lane Kiffin needs to make hires for. Now, there's been no indication that those hires are going to come before signing day. Uh, There are currently four offensive assistants, two defensive assistants, and one special teams assistant. 
Um, if you want to look at the whole staff in general, you do have a full-time special teams assistant coach. And I think that was one of the criticisms of Pete Carroll is that he rarely had, I don't think he ever had actually a full-time special teams assistant. He had a, a, a graduate assistant for a couple of years, uh, Dennis Slutak, who's up in Washington right now with Steve Sarkeesian. And they did a great job when they had someone dedicated to special teams. But for the most part, they didn't. And it was kind of a mishmash of this coach is going to do punt return. This guy's going to do kickoff coverage. And uh, it just didn't seem to work all that well. But the teams were so good, it didn't really matter. Now, Lane Kiffin, you have to give him credit for going out and, and finding one of the best special team coaches in the country and signing him up. He also brings his uh, uh, academic progress uh, program to USC. So I think those are all positives. But special teams were abysmal uh, last year, and it didn't seem to, it would seem to be getting worse as opposed to be getting better. So you have to look there. Uh, if you have a full-time special teams assistant and special teams are underperforming, you got to look there. Uh, you know, a lot of the aspects, you, you know, as far as the linebackers, you had three freshman linebackers play really well in 2011, and three sophomore linebackers didn't look like they played as well in 2012. But Scotty Hazelton, the linebacker coach, uh, left to be the defensive coordinator at Nevada. So there's no need to fire anyone there. He, he left on his own accord. Uh, the secondary, certainly, uh, you know, there was some left to be desired there. You can argue it was schemes. You can argue that these guys were playing off too much. It didn't really matter. Uh, but Marvin Sanders, I, like I said, I think it was more of a situation where Clancy Pendergast was going to focus on defensive backs himself. So they're kind of moving on there. Uh, if you look at the offensive side of the ball, um, I mean, you, you win the Blitnikoff Award with Mark Lee and, and Robert Woods has a, you know, a slower year. I mean, a, not as good of a year as he did before, but still a pretty good year. Uh, T. Martin's a great recruiter. I don't think he's going anywhere. They, they, Lane Kiffin fought really hard to keep him, so I don't think that's something that's going to change. Uh, I didn't mention Ed Ordron. He's he's not going anywhere either. I mean, he's he's a great recruiter as well. I think he took a, a, a defensive line group that everyone thought was going to be uh, the biggest liability on the team, and and you could argue they were one of the best. So uh, there's nothing wrong with Ed Ordron. The job he's been doing there. Um, if you look at the offensive line, James Craig certainly underperformed. You know, losing Matt Khalil is big. He had a great uh, Pro Bowl on Sunday. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think there's enough talent on this line to, to play better than they did. Uh, hasn't been a whole lot of talk about uh, getting rid of James Craig. I haven't heard anything about that. I mean, there's been some rumblings, but nothing concrete. Uh, I do think if, you know, I'm not saying there's not going to be a change, but if there is, it's likely to happen uh, after signing day down the road, you know, maybe he moves over coaches, tight ends, uh, who knows. Um, but we haven't heard anything, you know, really official about you know, James Craig is, is, is on the hot seat with Lane Kiffin. Uh, we'll see, but that, that group certainly didn't perform as well as a lot of people would have liked. Uh, I mean, if you look at, uh, Clay Helton, uh, for the quarterbacks, you got Matt Barkley coming back for a senior year. Uh, wasn't his greatest year. This is a team that turned the ball over uh, more than just about anyone in the country. A lot of those were interceptions. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's there's some issues there. And, and there was talk that maybe Clay Helton would call some plays. Uh, we're not really sure if that happens or is going to happen. It, does, it seems like Lane Kiffin really, uh, if he enjoys anything the most about being the head coach at USC, it's it's calling the play. So um, it might take a while or, or take take a big effort from Pat Hayden or, or who knows who else to get that big Denny's menu play, <laughs> play sheet out of his hands. But there's still a lot to be determined. Um, but as, as far as the assistant coaches go, and then you got Kenny Palmalu, um, you know, didn't have a lot of running backs to work with this year, and Trey Madden should be coming back. We'll see what happens there. A great recruiter, uh, potential head coach someday. So I don't think he's going anywhere either. Uh, but if you look at the staff in general with the two open spots, one of them is going to have to be a linebacker, linebacker coach. What's the other one going to be? Uh, you're going to move, you're going to make it five offensive assistants and three defensive assistants? I don't know if you want to do that. But if he brings in a, a special offensive coordinator that, that can come in and call the plays, that's really what he would have to do. I think there's a lot of options there. Um, it doesn't seem like they're going to do anything, like I said, until after signing day. And I'm curious to see if Pat Hayden uh, 
is involved heavily in this at all. And he tells Lane Kiffin, you do have to bring in a defensive coordinator. You do have to do something like that, uh, which would be which would be interesting. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to. How much, you know, Lane Kiffin, you can talk about being on the hot seat. It doesn't look like uh, Pat Hayden had any indicate, you know, any plans of doing anything this year, no matter how bad of a season it was. Next year, I think it's a different story. So we'll see how much influence Pat Hayden has on these two assistant coaching hires. It will tell us a lot, uh, not just the players who are hired, I mean, the, the, the coaches that are hired, but the direction that they go uh, with the program. So I think there's a lot that could be said for that, uh, and we'll see going on there. Well, let's go to, uh, I wanted to go to a voicemail question. This is kind of actually talk about recruiting, but it's about Lane Kiffin too, so I thought it'd be a good segue into this voicemail. Here you go. Hi, this is Ian Forsyth calling from uh, Hawaii. I have a question uh, for anyone who wants to answer it, but it seems like the one redeeming quality for Lane Kiffin is his ability to recruit. But all the news in the last few weeks has been recruits jumping ship, and those that do stay don't attribute it to Lane Kiffin. They attribute it to USC, or if anything, it's not because Lane Kiffin, it's in spite of Lane Kiffin. So does this mean that the one redeeming quality that Kiffin has is kind of false and that and if that's the case, he's sort of an underachiever, if not a failure across the board. Um, thank you so much. Bye. Wow. Tough, tough, uh, harsh question there about Lane Kiffin. Uh, we do appreciate the call from Hawaii, and USC will be traveling to Hawaii uh, at the beginning of the season next year, so that should be a lot of fun. No, I'm going to categorically deny, <laughs> not deny, uh, I disagree uh, with what you're saying there, and, and let me tell you why. And I've had a lot of this come up. And I think some of it has to do with the national media. Um, some of it just has to do with, with USC fans that are unhappy with Lane Kiffin. I'm going to go on a limb and say you're one of the many USC fans that's unhappy uh, with the job that Lane Kiffin has done. And, you know, I, I think people gave him a lot of praise in 2011. They won 10 games. Uh, you know, he, he recruited well with the sanctions. He, 10 games under sanctions is, is pretty impressive. Beating Oregon on the road pretty impressive beating Notre Dame on the road pretty impressive I and mean, I think he had a, a great 2011 season and a season where they got better throughout the year 2012 nothing like that this team did not get better throughout the year there was high way higher expectations there was a target on their back and you can argue up and down that Lane Kiffin did a horrible job managing the team uh, getting the guys ready I agree 100% you can't uh, I can't fault you for saying that. I mean, I think those are all fair criticisms. The problem I have is when people are very critical of Lane Kiffin in that way. One, I think you should give him credit for what he did in 2011. People forget that. Now, if he has a 2013 like 2012, I agree. I mean, there's, there's, there's you know, I, I think the, the ship had probably been sailed at this point and you, you move on and, and probably Pat Hayden will go in a different direction. But it's certainly a possibility he could have more of a season like 2011. But the other issue is people forget that season very quickly. Uh, and that was Lane Kiffin running the show, and there still were under sanctions and all that. Um, the other issue is people are now trying to downgrade one of his, well, his biggest strength as a recruiter um, because of some, these little stories that people are jumping on in the media and things like that. And you, I cannot disagree anymore. Um, I've had arguments with members of the national media on Twitter. I've had arguments with USC fans on this. Uh, I talked about this at length uh, at the uh, Trojan Club of South Orange County where he spoke uh, last week. And let me let me just tell you this. People say, well, anyone can recruit at USC. And actually, Matt Welsh asked this question uh, at the Trojan Club. He played offensive line for USC back under uh, Paul Hackett. He's not a big Lane Kiffin fan and had some some critical things to say. Pat, Paul Hackett was a horrible, horrible recruiter. And yes, there was a couple of big-name guys that came. And I think that's what you're talking about, the USC uh, brand that's bringing these guys in there. Lane Kiffin is a completely different story. They're not getting... USC's getting guys that are five-star, out-of-state guys that aren't typical... Oh, these guys would normally go to USC. You can't say, uh, you know, like one of the best players in Florida or one of the best players in Kentucky or best player in Illinois. Oh, yeah, that normally would just come to USC. That's a pipeline. No, there's no pipeline there. Now, if you're talking about the best kid from modern day, high school or Long Beach Poly, 
ends up at USC doesn't necessarily mean that the head coach is, is the greatest recruiter ever. I mean, that kid was usually very likely to go to USC. USC typically gets the best players in Southern California. That's not what that's not what is happening here. I mean, of the the five stars that USC has, six of them, not even no one else had anything close to that. Um, of those five stars, uh, you're talking about six of them. Five of them are from out of state. Uh, that's pretty amazing. If you look at the recruiting for the 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 rivals 100, which is the top 100 players in the country, uh, pretty amazing that USC has 11 of those guys right now, and likely to get at least a couple of more before signing day. 11 of the top 100. That's more than all but two conferences. It's more than the ACC. <laughs> you know, it's more than the Big 12. They have more rivals 100 commits than the entire Big 12, than the entire ACC. Um, of all the five stars committed, four of them are already enrolled. Of the six five stars, four of them are already on campus enrolled. There's no way, there's no wavering there. They're already at uh, USC coming in and ready to make an impact this spring. You, you're looking at the, well, this kid decommitted and this kid decommitted. Yeah, I mean, this is all happening under sanctions. And at least two or three of those quote-unquote decommits were not real decommits. You should listen to the Trojan Blast recruiting podcast, and we can talk a lot more about that. Uh, those are guys that USC's had to back off of, and that's part of the sanctions. Under normal circumstances, they would have stuck around with a guy like Sebastian LaRue, who's now committed to uh, Texas A&M, or a guy like Eldridge Massington, um, who's at, at UCLA now. Normally they would with, with 25 scholarships. They can't with 15. When you 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 know maybe they extend an offer too early, uh, things like that. The Kylie Fitz situation, yeah, they want him to come to USC. They wanted him to come in early. Did you rather have him or Kenny Bigelow, who's a five-star kid uh, from the East Coast, come in there who can't just come by USC? I think it's a business decision that they had to make because of the sanctions. Now, Kylie Fitz could still end up at USC. could end up somewhere else. He took an official visit to Notre Dame over this past weekend. But he's a local kid that's been a big fan. And it's hard to fault the coaches from trying to look at all these four- and five-star guys and saying, which one are we not going to get in because we can't bring them all in as early enrollees? Um, why? Because of the NCAA sanctions. They just didn't have enough room. They still want them to come in. There's room for them to come in uh you know, this summer, but as far as coming in and participating in the spring, there just wasn't room. So is that a decommit that's Lane Kiffin's fault? No. I mean, that, I mean if he didn't have sanctions, there wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, he would he would already be there with the USC. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're still in on a lot of these guys. Like Eddie Vanderdose with decommit could still come back. Uh, he took an official visit to, to Notre Dame as well. Uh, and they're still in a lot of big-name dudes uh, across the country. So, no, it's not. You can't say that Lane Kiffin is now a terrible recruiter. I mean, that I'm not nothing to insult you, but I think if you you can't believe what people are saying when they're trying to pile on and say, "Oh, the USC's recruiting is imploding, and they got decommitments all over the place." And yeah, I mean, it's a very difficult task trying to fit what you really want as like 25 guys into 15 spots. Or, you know, down to about 17 spots now. Um, it's it's tough to do. And if you read Gerard Martinez's uh, recruiting op piece on the front page of uscfootball.com, he, he puts it really well. Yeah, I mean, there's still a chance that USC could fall on their face and not get any of these last few guys that they're going after. And it's, I mean, really is the nature of the sanctions. And, and there's some risks taken and things like that. But there's a chance that they finish with a, a flurry and, and sign all of them. So, um if you look at the class right now, it's no class has ever been this top-heavy in Rivals.com history. I mean, you just haven't seen anything like that. Every single commit that USC has was in one of the two major All-Star games, uh, the Army Bowl and the Under Armour game. I mean, these are all high-quality guys. So basically what the NCAA told Lane Kiffin was, you just can't recruit that many guys. And Lane Kiffin has gone out and said, all right, well, if I can't recruit that many guys, every single one of them is going to be one of those impact guys, guys that are ranked at the top 100 in the country, guys that we think can really come on strong 
and help this team right away. And he's done it. And, um, you know, they're averaging like almost four and a half stars per commit, which is crazy. Uh, six, five stars, which is crazy. You know, 11 of the top 100. Again, crazy. They still have a chance to finish with the number one class in the country based on the rivals formula uh, that, that counts 20 commits. They're only going to have 17. But the, the, the formula goes up to 20. So a team like Alabama, say they get 25, they're only counting their top 20. So they have that extra room of other guys they don't even have to count. For USC, they're going to get so many points from those 17, if they end up getting 17, uh, that they have a chance to be the number one team in the country just because those guys, those 17 they have are so strong. So, no, I do not agree at all that there's an issue with Lane Kiffin in recruiting. He is doing an amazing job recruiting basically with one hand tied behind his back. No one's ever had to go through what Lane Kiffin is going through as far as recruiting 10 fewer guys for three years in a row. Okay? So I do not agree with you. I cannot agree with you. This, this class is, is really good, could be amazing. Uh, it, you know, it could just still end up really good. It, it would hurt to not have the numbers if they only get 13 or 14 guys and Lane Kiffin takes a risk and they don't sign any of these last few guys. Certainly, uh, you know, they could lose a Jalen Ramsey. A lot of things uh, could happen. But, I mean, a lot of it I don't think is Lane Kiffin's fault. He's putting his team in as a good a position to win, as you could ask, on the recruiting trail, doing things that we haven't seen done before. So, no, I'm not going to uh, to fault Lane Kiffin there with his recruiting prowess. The stuff on the field, yes, but you have to separate those. It's when people are upset with how Lane Kiffin performed uh, on the field and off the field, I guess you could say, in 2012, and then they want to say he's a bad recruiter as well just because it, it kind of goes along with it that he didn't play, you know, that the team didn't play well last year. Two separate things. Um, you can argue that recruiting doesn't matter because if the team, if the players don't get coached up and, and play well, Blah, blah, blah. They did get coached up and played well in 2011. Recruiting does matter, getting those athletes in there. But you can't connect the two that's saying that, well, now he's a bad recruiter because the team didn't play well. That's that's just not true. And, and looking at four or five-star guys already enrolled, I think it's proof of that. All right. I went along long enough on that rant, but I thought that people would get interested. Uh, we're going to have one last one from uh, Melvin, and he wants to know, I would like to get your opinion on whether USC should look into recruiting a mobile quarterback to at least provide some diversity on offense for the other Pac-12 schools to worry about preparing for USC. Or do you think the pro style will be sufficient in today's football world? In football world? Um, I think in, in USC's football world, yeah, I think I mean, that's the way USC's going in more of a pro style thing. I think you can get an athletic guy. Cody Kessler is an athletic guy. Um, you know, he can run, uh, yeah, but he, I think you're going to get a throw first quarterback at USC for at least as long as Lane Kiffin's around, unless they bring in a coach that that's going to run pistol or elements of a spread option attack. Uh, Lane Kiffin's not going to be doing that. And I, I don't see Lane Kiffin as a guy bringing in a, a specific wildcat quarterback. He seems to stick with the guy that he picks. Uh, you could say stubborn to a fault as far as that. I mean, you could argue that in the, the Sun Bowl, I argued in the Sun Bowl that Cody Kessler should have come in at some point. And Lane Kiffin said he had a really long leash. Wasn't going to change that. I just don't see them recruiting a quarterback that's more of a like a Tim Tebow type that's not the strong uh, passer but maybe a strong runner and bring him in for certain situations. I, I just don't see it. Yeah, they'll they'll use some some wildcat and stuff from time to time, maybe with a, with a running back. But I don't see a lot of, you know, them bringing in a, a quarterback that's just designed to kind of run the spread. Now, it doesn't mean they can't be athletic. I mean, Cody Kessler, like I said, is an athletic guy. Uh, I think Dan Weber likes to say you could dunk a basketball when he's in eighth grade. I mean, he's an athlete. He can run. He doesn't have as strong of an arm as Max Wittick is – Lane Kiffin going to say, I'm going with the strong-armed quarterback no matter what, even if Cody Kessler, say, has better pocket presence or can escape uh, you know, the pass rush better or things like that. I mean, I think that's all going to be determined this spring, and we're going to talk to Dan Weber about that uh, a little bit more coming up in the next segment. But that, that's all important um, for the competition in the spring, and I'm, be, I'm curious to see what Lane Kiffin ends up doing 
uh, as far as that goes. Is if it's only who has the strongest arm, Max Whitick, you win. But is it everything else? Then I think it opens things up to Cody Kessler and uh, Max Brown as well. But no, I don't. I don't see Lane Kiffin making any major changes there as far as the kind of quarterbacks he recruits. But I mean, if there's a guy that can sling the football over the field that happens to be able to 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 run a four four. I don't think USC is shying away from that, but the focus is going to be on a quarterback who can pass the football. If he's can't move at all or it can run like the wind, I think that's going to be a secondary consideration. Now, how much they utilize uh, a quarterback's strengths, if, like, say, Cody Kessler wins out the job and they know he can take off and run sometimes, we haven't seen a lot of that. Uh, we saw Matt Barkley do it every once in a while. Not that he's the most fleet of foot, but, you know, when there's – wide open middle of the field and he can run for a first down. He did that every once in a while. Um, If you have a guy that can really run, are they going to say, hey, if you see that opening, just take off and do it? Or are they going to make him try to go through progressions and and would rather find an open receiver as opposed to to running for the first down? It's it's hard to say, Uh, but we'll see. So, uh, But Cody Kessler is a guy on the roster right now who's athletic. He's very athletic. Um, And he can run the football. But he's focused on throwing the football. And I think that's what where USC is going with the future of the quarterback. That's what they're going to try to do. I think uh, Max Brown has some athleticism too. Uh, but, you know, again, he's a guy that's focused on throwing the football and distributing it to his wide receivers. Um, all right. Well, we didn't have Coach Harvey Hyde for this segment. So hopefully uh, filled in <laughs> and answered the questions the way he would have answered them too. But I And that rant on the recruiting, I think, uh, go back and – if you have any questions about that, just go listen to that again. Some of the facts about how USC is recruiting is pretty ridiculous. We're not going to know until signing day how the class actually comes together. But just the guys they have in right now, everyone in the country would love to have guys like that. And they're already signed. Uh, four or five stars already on the books. 11 of the Rivals 100 committed. And a bunch of those guys are those four or five stars. You know, you know, six of them are already on campus. So um, certainly... It's a great start to this class. We're not going to know anything official until they sign. the rest of these guys uh, sign on February 6th. But do not get down on Lane Kiffin for recruiting. He's doing a great job with what he has to work with. Uh, certainly, USC can bring in a lot of players in the NFL tradition and all that. But you got to have a good head coach and good coaching staff to be able to bring these guys in and, and, and sign, the, sign them on the dotted line and seal the deal. And we'll see if they're able to do that on February 6th. All right, so that's this segment. We're going to go to a quick 30-second timeout, come back with Dan Weber, uscfootball.com, beat writer talking about the USC Trojan quarterback situation and the offensive line. Stay tuned for that. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Got uscfootball.com beat writer uh, Dan Weber joining us. And uh, if you check out uscfootball.com right now, there's a a great piece on backup quarterback Cody Kessler. Uh, We got to talk to him on Friday, and he talked about Wanting to compete, not talking about transferring, just wanted to compete uh, this spring. And they started throwing this past week, and they'll be doing their offseason workouts leading up to uh, spring football, which starts in uh, early March. And, uh, Dan, we had a uh, a question on Cody Kessler. I thought we could start off with that, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, from Perfect, he said, uh, what's the real story? on Cody Kessler. I guess Perfect should probably read your story too, but you can kind of uh, re- reiterate. Um, how do you compare his arm strength compared to Matt Barkley? Um, do you like his velocity at the longer ranges of 35 to, to 40 yards? And he said, perhaps I'm naive, but I find it hard to believe that Kessler's height is a real issue, at least in college football. 
No, it's not an issue at all. I mean, he's close to 6'2 now. He has grown probably an inch or so since he's at USC. I mean, he's a real athletic kid. I do like to always cite the fact that he's a kid that could dunk a basketball in the eighth grade. So, uh, you know, he, he not, uh, he's not a problem. He's certainly, certainly significantly taller than Russell Wilson and, um, and Drew Brees and guys that have had some success in the NFL. So uh, don't think that's an issue at all. Uh, uh, and his quick feet and his ability to throw on the run and all that negate any, I think, any kind of, you know, height issues. I mean, I guess uh, if you're talking about the deep ball, I guess we're talking the, maybe even the deeper than uh, 35 yards, you know, the the real, you know, bomb is, is, is what Wittick, I mean, Wittick can throw the ball going, you know, opposite direction, throw it back against his body on the run and throw it, you know, 45, 50 yards downfield. I mean, he's got a uh, a uh, a big time arm. Matt Barkley. That was interesting. I don't know that we ever got a sense exactly. You know what was Matt Barkley's arm strength because we didn't always see the the same kind of you know delivery all the time, and we didn't. You know, we didn't. Uh, I don't think we hit a had a good you know measure on exactly what we were looking at. I know I went to the Elite Eleven. Uh, this past summer, quarterback, uh, you know, get together uh, that uh, I guess it was Rondondo Beach, and uh, and Matt was throwing the ball like we never seen him throw it before. He was there doing a demonstration, and and sort of a counselor for the uh, high school guys, and he said, well, you know, I decided I'm gonna, you know, be more uh, more for, you know throw with more force, throw with my you know more upper body, really turn into the ball and all that, and you would see him really deliver, uh, you know, big time, big, big arm, you know, stuff. But we didn't always see that in games. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, I mean, he threw it, he had, you know, plenty strong enough. Uh, you know, I think that's probably overrated in terms of arm strength. You know, how strong is uh, Peyton Manning's arm? Uh, you know, how strong is, uh, is Tom Brady's? You know, they, how strong was Joe Montana's arm? They, they delivered the ball exactly where it has to be delivered at exactly the time it has to be delivered. And that's all you, that's all you can really ask, uh, you know, if a quarterback's arm can't do that, can't get the ball where you want it to go when it needs to be there, uh, you know, then you've got a problem. But I don't think that's – I don't think that was more of an excuse uh, rather than an actual reason uh, for, uh, for why Wittick uh, – uh, you know, one out this year. Uh, I, I don't see arm strength as, as a significant um, uh, problem here. Uh, that's just that's my take. But uh, uh, I think Cody's more of a <clears throat> quick uh, possession passer kind of a guy. Quick, uh, uh, dump the ball off, uh, make a play, uh, extend a play. Uh, you know, avoid the sack. Uh, you know, that kind of a guy. I mean, USC wasn't exactly like USC was throwing a lot of deep balls that you really need a quarterback. I mean, they basically pretty much didn't trust the uh, offensive line <laughs> enough to uh, to do much, you know, deep stuff. When they got long pass plays, it usually Marcus Marquis Lee uh, turning a you know shorter pass pattern into a uh, into a big play, but but not necessarily uh, as much this last year on you know throwing the ball deep. So, uh, you know, I think he's, he's on plenty strong enough. Um, keep it with the quarterback theme. The next question is from Frank. Uh, he says, Ryan, in all the Sun Bowl lost talk, I have not heard the quarterback play mentioned. I recall counting six wide open guys that Max Wittick missed on pass plays. Uh, I, I, think, I think the quarterback play has been mentioned, but maybe you want to comment on that, Dan. Well, I mean, it was – the circumstances were difficult. And uh, – they just seemed the offense just seemed completely off all day long. You weren't really sure, you know, what was he looking for? Um, what was he supposed to be looking for? Georgia Tech certainly seemed to understand and jump the routes a, a lot of times. Uh, he did look like he was, you know, spooked a little bit in terms of the way Georgia Tech really did seem to be uh, locked into what USC was trying to do. Um, so, I mean, I think it was absolutely not, not completely fair to try to, you know, 
render a judgment on, on Max Wittick or whoever was, you know, had been starting a quarterback for the way, you know, the game plan seemed to uh, uh, unravel uh, from the beginning. I mean, the two three and oh, three and out starts were, it, it just kind of deflated everybody. And, uh, and, you know, poor Max Wittick was, you know, walking around with nobody to talk to uh, for much of the game. And uh, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was not a good game to evaluate a quarterback, I think, fairly, uh, the way USC approached that game. Uh, and uh, other than that, uh, you know, you don't know what to say. It was just uh, just a, an awfully miserable uh, performance based on what seemed to be pretty good preparation going into the game, and then it all seemed to just, uh, uh, you know, go to heck and back. I mean, they couldn't run it, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't, uh, couldn't throw it, couldn't get anybody open. Uh, didn't handle the win well at all. It looked like they overthought too much. Uh, just uh, it was as bad as the uh, the coach's outfit turned out to be. <laughs> I think it kind of matched that uh, that look. Well, you talked about it not being a great way to evaluate these guys, but uh, that's what's going to have to happen. And that's actually our next question. Here's a voicemail question about the upcoming quarterback battle yes hi my name is michael looking at the 2013 season the quarterback position obviously is a pivotal going to be so pivotal to the success of the team how do you see the players uh, wittick kessler and brown doing and whom do you think will emerge as the successor to uh, barkley also do you feel that ty isaac will sign with usc and what type of back is he thank you so much and enjoy your program uh, yeah, not the recruiting expert, but it just <laughs> sounds like Ty, Ty Isaac uh, uh, is, uh, is is a future Trojan. Uh, 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 he's a glider. Uh, he's kind of interesting, six three, two twenty or so, uh, and he's got. He's not like anybody that you you know that you just automatically say, oh, he's kind of like that guy. He's kind of like that guy. Uh, I can see him being a guy that they want to get the ball to in space and, and do things like that. Uh, he played kind of a – his team, you know, did some unique things uh, in terms of running the ball and kind of ran the same play again and again and again and just kind of kind of a, uh, basically just turned him loose. And uh, it was hard to say, you know, what kind of a – you know, you put him in a traditional system and what's he going to look like uh, – uh, other than big and strong and 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 smooth, and uh, look like a great, sound like a great kid, in so many ways. So uh, I like, uh, you know, like that, and I'm optimistic about it. Uh, in terms of the quarterback battle, uh, I, I mean, I don't, I think what we need to know is how is it going to be evaluated. Is this going to be on, you know, the only rationale we got for Max Whitting, uh Winning the battle, which was said to be really, really close, was that uh, we got it from Kessler, who said, you know, he said, I got to work on the deep ball. Other than that, we really didn't pick up on why one over the other. Uh, if it's just going to be based on arm strength, you know, they don't have to have a battle, you know, with it gets it. And, you know, they throw it the hardest and the farthest. Uh, one would think on a team. <laughs> that had 34 turnovers. That was the, only three teams in college football in Division One uh, had more turnovers. That, so they were 117 out of 120. Uh, it was awful. You would think that the most important thing would be finding a guy who doesn't turn the ball over, finding a guy who extends drives and extends plays. I mean, I think there's a, there's a case to be made that maybe that guy, you know, is the guy who didn't get a chance to do anything in the Sun Bowl. I think that was a missed opportunity. I mean, I would, you know, just from the standpoint of, of um, you know, giving Whitick a break, just getting a chance to calm down or settle down, you would have thought you would have had uh, had uh, Cody Kessler ready to go. But apparently USC didn't think they had gotten him ready yet, uh, ready to play. It's interesting. He was ready to play a year ago but not ready to play in the Sun Bowl. Uh, not sure what that says. I think Max Brown is a special kid in a lot of ways. 
but I don't know if there are any special kids special enough to really step in as a true freshman at USC. I know Matt Barkley did, but that was a tough year, and uh, he had some he had some moments. I mean, no question about it. Was that a and the overall, you know, look at Matt Barkley. Was he really ready? Probably not. Uh, would, uh, but basically, you know, he was the guy. That he was what they had. I think Max, you know, if if he were all that USC had at this point, uh, then uh, you know, then you'd say, well, he's here for the spring. Uh, he'll get a little stronger. Uh, he's got a lot of savvy. He's a very smart kid. He 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 kind of improvises pretty well. He kind of has the ability to make different kinds of throws and and do some pretty good things. He's six five. Um, got pretty good feet. Uh, you could make a case that wouldn't be the worst thing. And and there would be places that you would think, uh, okay, he can step in and have yeah, a pretty good year. But uh, but I'm not sure next year at USC, considering everything going on. And the kind of year they could potentially have, and the kind of year they'd better have, uh, kind of hard to see. Uh, with 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 Matt Barkley, you're thinking the long term, how will this play out over three or four years, that kind of thing. Uh, I'm not sure uh, USC has the ability to to take the long term look next year at uh, at a freshman quarterback. I just don't don't know that that's in the cards. So. I think it's it's a very interesting story as to how the quarterback uh, uh, you know battle plays out. I think it's uh, you know tremendously of tremendous interest to all of it. I mean that's why we went to uh, Friday's throwing session. And uh, the thing you're looking at is uh, uh, the quarterbacks. You know that's that's you know that's why they're there to throw the ball anyway. But uh, it, for this USC team. That's the story, the quarterbacks. Uh, how, how does that story go? Obviously, they've got to be able to block. We're not going to be able to see that kind of thing. And uh, in the throwing sessions in the winter, obviously, they have to do a much better job on the offensive line. Got to do a much better job in the secondary. Uh, we'll see a little bit of that, although, again, that doesn't always translate because what they're doing on uh, a lot of the man-to-man stuff and all that, is that how they end up playing? We don't know. But we can see the quarterbacks throw the ball, so – that's uh, probably the story that will play out first uh, this winter is, uh, is the three quarterbacks. Well, it's a good segue to the next question, uh, Dan, but you're talking about uh, the protections, and uh, Rundy wanted to know. He said, Dan, great show. The past two weeks you've uh, contended that it was the offense and not the defense that was the cause of USC's dismal season. I agree, but one area I've not heard anyone mention is quarterback position. I'm not knocking Matt Barkley per se, I think the absence of a great left tackle was a source of most of the offensive woes. This year was this year with no left tackle and even the great Holmes not as effective due to injuries. Barkley was constantly running for his life and had to pass as quickly as possible on every play. Thus, he had no time to look for receivers. Plays never developed. He was rushed into overthrowing or forcing balls that led to critical interceptions and ill-advised uh Incompletion, or I'm sorry, critical incompletions and ill-advised interceptions. Do you agree? And that's from Rundy. I do agree with every single word. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. You nailed it. You knocked it right out of the park. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you don't have enough time regularly to even look at Robert Woods, I mean, come on. How bad is that? You can't even go to your second, your second option. Uh, that. You know, if they were, I mean, two years ago, they could. Uh, last year, they couldn't. Uh, how different is this offense if you can always throw the ball to Robert Woods if, they, you know, if they're doubling up Marquise or trying to take him out of the game? Uh, either, I think it was a combination of things. They didn't have enough time, didn't feel comfortable enough, and got out of the habit of doing that. I mean, obviously, that played out in the Sun Bowl when you add in the um, – uh, the win factor, and basically, you know, we hear that Wittick is being told, don't even look at your next second receiver. Just go to the first guy and hope he's open. And unfortunately, Georgia Tech didn't cooperate and didn't <laughs> allow him to be open. Uh, I mean, I, I think Marquise Lee had a, as the year went on, 
he had a tougher time of it. He had a, you know, he had to make some great plays to to catch the football because people just weren't going to let him beat beat you. But uh, if you remember when he was a freshman and Robert was a sophomore, they uh, they were it was not possible to cover both of them. Barkley had enough time, uh, and uh, they could do some things that we didn't see anything anything like that last year. Yeah, and so it. it Made Barkley's life a lot more difficult. He obviously knew they were coming. Uh, he obviously knew he probably wasn't going to be able to find Robert. Probably wasn't going to be able enough time uh, that he needed. And uh, probably, you know, they weren't going to be able to run the ball in critical situations as much as, uh, you know, Mark Tyler, for example. I'm not sure if people, you know, felt like they missed him, but he was a he was a hammer. He was a guy that could could flat out uh, get you some big, you know, he's a big back. He didn't have a big back this year. So you put the two together, and uh, life was difficult, you know, and obviously the third part of that is the offensive line just didn't seem to have any uh, fundamentally sound ability to just, if you needed them to knock somebody back, if you needed them to create a seam, you just didn't really know for sure that they could. Uh, as the you know goal line stand by Notre Dame proved at the at the end of the year, it just wasn't there. So it all plays together, but uh, uh, it played out in a in a way that uh, five out of the last six games that USC lost played out very negatively for USC. Certainly did. Um, well, I, let's we have another offensive line question, so let's I guess we can jump right into that. These are all kind of. Flowing together well today, Dan. Okay, good. <laughs> Here we go. Here's the next one. Hey, guys. Uh, this is Matt from St. Louis, Missouri. Had a question for Ryan and Gerard. Just wanted your guys' opinion on where does Zach Banner and uh, Jordan Simmons fit into the mix this year? Um, everybody seems to think Zach Banner's a right tackle kind of guy. Is is that what you guys think? Does you know We still have issues of left tackle. Is Max Turk going to take that left tackle position and move Andre Walker back to guard? I'm just curious about the O-line. It just seems amazing that two years ago, Barkley was the least sacked quarterback in college football, and they lose one guy, and the O-line comes back and really performed poorly last year. So just curious where you guys think everybody kind of fits in, especially with those two redshirt freshmen in the mix. Thanks, guys. Okay, not uh, not Ryan or Jim, uh, but to our, <laughs> our guy in St. Louis, uh, uh, Zach was a right tackle all through um, through the fall on the scout team, right next to Jordan Simmons, who was the right guard on the scout team. So uh, that's where he played. Uh, I, I I don't know where where I look at uh, uh, Zach Banner. Uh, again, at six nine, I think there's only been one guy in the history of college in the NFL football at six nine that really was a successful offensive lineman. Jonathan Ogden, I hate to mention at UCLA, uh almost the exact same size. Not quite as heavy evidently. I guess uh, now Zach is three hundred and forty two pounds, looks good. He's an athlete, he's a great personality. Oh kind of he will I said this before. He'll he'll graduate from USC and go right to his own uh, sports talk radio show. I mean he's that that kind of a kid. Whether he can get himself, get his butt low enough, get his uh, get his uh, lower uh, half of his body underneath him, uh, you know, to perform really well on offense. I think we're, and he knows it. I mean, he's uh, he's working on things uh, to try to to get himself. He's active enough. He's got good enough hands and feet. Um, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, if he plays like his dad, his dad Lincoln County was only six six and three thirty. 35, something like that. That's all. So, uh, bigger, <laughs> than his, bigger than his dad, uh, who had 11 years in the NCAA, you know, uh, in the NFL and was the more, you know, trophy winner in the uh, Pac-12 and at Washington. So, um, you know, he comes from, you know, where you would want a kid to come from in terms of that. Uh, I don't know. I always think, uh, you know, if, if if that doesn't work out, does he have a future as a uh, two-tall Jones uh Big Daddy Lipscomb for a reference, probably that very few of you guys uh, can ever remember. But uh, as a defensive end, I don't know. 
where he play, where he plays out. I think Jordan Simmons, if he gets in shape, if the knee's fine, he's got almost has to play. He he's really got some things you have to like about about a kid uh, athletically. Just he just looks like you know. I mean, he looks like he could plug him in and you know that Alabama offensive line and you know, wouldn't notice, you know, any difference. I mean, he just looks like one of those guys. Now, where does that where does that put him? Is it, is it right guard? Does John Martinez stay there? John Martinez, who uh, showed up at practice the other day, 318 pounds. So, um, and he's the strongest, you know, kid on the USC team. Uh, you know, where does John Martinez end up in this? You know, he's also a potential center with Marcus Martin. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, and I don't know where Andre Walker is. I hope they really... Uh, you know, a big premium on on uh, on winter workouts and the spring spring ball has to be sorting out the offensive line, and I hope they're not afraid to do some things and and, and you know uh, uh, make some moves and all that. I know uh, Max Turk is hoping to be, you know, in the ballpark of 295 maybe. Uh, it's not been easy for him to get there. He he looks like he could play any position on the offensive line if it were me and I, I would not have a problem of penciling him in anywhere. Uh, so does that make, um, you know, left tackle the logical place for him? Probably uh, with his uh, quick feet and the fact that he, he got to play as much as he did as a true freshman. Uh, I think you need that guy to be dependable. The one thing I might disagree with in terms of the premise of your question, we lose one guy on the offensive line, one guy, who happened to be, if you watched the uh, uh, Pro Bowl yesterday, uh, they were, you know, his his teammates were clapping him on the back and handing him the, you know, game ball after they scored touchdowns yesterday. That guy, Matt Khalil, is probably as good an offensive lineman who's come into the NFL in the last 10 years. I mean, he is a great, great, great offensive lineman. I think as good as we thought he was, uh, as good as most of the rest of the country didn't realize he was, because if they did, he would have won all the awards, postseason awards. Uh, he was better than I think any of us even even could guess. And so saying, you know, you just lost one guy, well, one really, really important guy. And there was a second blocker in Red Ellison. They did a really nice job for all the things they didn't do right this year. A year ago, by, you know, playing Rhett Ellison at that H-back and moving him around and, you know, tight end and all the kinds of things they did with him, they got him blocking wherever they really needed him to block at the point of attack. And uh, the combination of Rhett Ellison and uh, actually Ross Cumming, who is now, you know, the graduate assistant doing a lot of work with uh, um, the special teams, along with Matt Khalil, they were – a terrifically much better blocking team last year. They were just way, way, way better blockers than this year's team was. The problem is the guys that came back, I think all, I don't know that any of them are any better. I, I didn't, I don't think, you know, if you look at the whole team at all, virtually every position, there was a lot of regression last year. They didn't practice well and they didn't get better. And, uh, and that has to change, but it was so obvious on the offensive line, uh, and uh, where they really needed to get better, having lost uh, Matt Khalil and Red Ellison. All right, Dan, thanks for that. One last one for you. This is uh, uh, Lawrence in Dallas, Texas. Uh, he says, with the recent articles coming out about the NCAA and how the Miami investigation was handled, do you ever see USC? Uh, do you do you see USC ever asking for the sanctions to be lifted? And where is the McNair and unsealed court documents at? Again, that's from Lawrence in Dallas, Texas. Well, Lawrence, uh, maybe uh, Pat Aiden could ask uh, uh, Mark Emmert when he uh, he comes out for a visit to speak at the USC campus in March uh, with uh, with Pat. They're having a little session together, evidently, we've just learned. And uh, uh, maybe that could be one of the questions. Maybe Pat <laughs> could say, hey, uh, President Emmert, you think he might give us some of those uh, scholarships back that you guys – you know, uh, illegally took away from us with your cooked-up uh, investigation and uh, and bogus sanctions. Well, maybe he'll ask. I don't know. Uh, being smart, uh, you know, this. Uh, I I don't know. I the problem I've got is how do you get those back? How do you get you know do it right? For example, in a Markowitz who 
you know, doesn't want to do anything but, you know, come back for his sixth year at USC or a Kylie Fitz. All he wanted to do was come in early. And you tell those kids to go away, don't bother us, we don't have anything for you. When all you got to do is maybe ask the NCAA. Who knows? The NCAA might be in so much trouble right now. They know what's in those emails. They might want to get ahead of this. But I don't think they're going to give them back to give USC anything back. If USC doesn't ask for it, USC doesn't, you know, try to get the emails released. I mean, why is USC saying things like, well, if the emails get released and they say what the judge says, he says they say, well, we might rethink what we're doing. What do you mean? You might? You're going to wait? You're going to depend on Todd McNair, guy that you kind of walked away from, and he's going to do USC's work for it instead of USC joining in here somehow and saying, you know, either at the NCAA level and saying we expect as a member of the NCAA where transparency is the watchword, we expect the NCAA to be transparent with us. We want to see those emails. President Emmert, turn those things over. How do you justify keeping those secret? How, how do you possibly not let USC see those emails? I mean, these are people that were working for USC. USC is a member of the NCAA. Uh, and how do you not join McNair's suit at this point? How do you not, you know, make a, a, whatever move USC could legally make with the uh, state appeals court to get those unsealed? Say, you know, we have kids who are losing scholarships. We have kids that are, you know, being harmed. Abe Markowitz is being, you know, without question being damaged. Uh, Kylie Fitz was being damaged. And if, if there's information in that uh, – in those emails that USC was targeted, targeted uh, by the NCA against its own rules, and that that would change the nature of, uh, you know, the penalty situation against USC. Shouldn't USC be working really hard on that? Wouldn't that be more important than figuring out who to name the uh, Hall of Champions and Heritage Hall after? <laughs> I would think at this point in time, I would think you can come up with a name for the you know, Heritage Hall, Hall of Champions, uh, you know, next year. But this year, kids that are going without scholarships and told, to, you know, being told to go away, uh, probably I would take care of them first. That would be, that'd be my priorities at, at this point. So uh, I don't know. USC has shown no indication to get on the right side of the NCAA issue. None. Uh, will, you know, will the NCAA's, public, you know, posture and stance and um, maybe standing deteriorate so badly in the next few months that even USC will feel emboldened to ask for, you know, I mean, USC, let's face it, was handled probably, you know, the most unfairly of anything that's happened. Uh, and so you would think USC would have a big stake in uh, getting ahead of this as much as, you know, just to get their reputation back, just to hear the NCAA say, yeah, okay, we fixed the case. You weren't, you weren't guilty of what we said you were guilty of. And we were wrong, and we targeted you, and we're sorry. How much would that be worth? That would be worth a lot. And uh, one would think that if you had USC's best interest at heart, that would be something you'd be doing right about now. We can only hope. <laughs> all right. Don't get me going. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's, it's always good. We'll just throw a little NCAA stuff in there. We don't want to go a whole show or anything, but that's good. Uh, well, but I will say, remember all the people that said, get off this NCAA stuff. It's never going to amount to anything. There's nothing there. Forget it. It's, well, it's turned out it might have taken three years, but there is something there. Yeah. <laughs> and it isn't going away. And the NCAA wanted it to go away. It's not going away. USC could be a part of, of getting this to go in the right direction, however. Uh, let's hope they don't blow the opportunity here. All right, Dan. We appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all the insights as usual. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, next week will be the, the last show before signing day, and then we'll, we'll be talking about some off-season workouts and things like that. Then heading into spring football. So spring football will be here before we know it. We'll we'll do some yeah. previews and stuff with that. But it should be a lot of fun, and uh, thanks again. Thank you, Ron. Enjoyed it. All right, and everyone Bye. else, yeah, thanks for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll do another Trojan Blast 
recruiting podcast this week. Stay tuned for that, and we'll be back with our regular show on Monday. Thanks very much for tuning in. You've been listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Music